Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that is here tonight, and we ask you to take this time, and Lord, encourage us in the Word, help us to cover uh, the material, and look at the book of Zechariah tonight, yet, Lord, pick out some of those beautiful gems that are in there, and understand a little bit about prophecies yet to be fulfilled. We ask you to guide and direct us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Of the other of what we call the minor prophets, the last 12 books of your Old Testament, prophesies about things concerning the millennial kingdom and the second coming of Christ. And, and so, as we look through some of these prophecies, People have made statements over the years, uh, especially uh, of the Jewish faith, that there's nowhere in uh, the Old Testament that says Messiah had to suffer. Yet in Zechariah, it says they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. And that prophecy is there, and it talks about so many things. And we're going to try to make some connections here. Uh, Zechariah's name, uh, he was at first, we'll get his time period, he was a contemporary of Haggai. He was uh, when Zerubbabel and Shethiel had come, the son of uh, uh, Shethiel the, and Je- uh, Jehoshadak, the high priest, when they came back to rebuild Jerusalem, there had been a law in the building process because of the oppression of other peoples. And Zechariah and Haggai were the prophets that got the building of the temple going again. And, and so, uh, Zechariah had prophecies that he gave in his time and he saw fulfilled in his life. And yet, there are many things that he alludes to that are spoken about in the book of Revelation that have not yet come to pass. And... Uh, Zechariah is one of those books that if you're not careful, you can get lost in. And we don't want to do that tonight. But uh, his name means God will remember or the renown of God. Actually, a play on that to, uh, to, to think about God's greatness. That's what Zechariah's name means. And his prophecy certainly uh, was connected uh, in, in that way as the renown, uh, the thinking about God and the things that God said He will remember and He will do. And so let's just start in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, here's a promise, and we've kind of divided the book up into two sections, the prophecies that deal with things going currently on currently in the lifetime uh, of Zechariah and prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah and the kingdom, uh, uh, as we say, which has yet to happen. But we have this promise, promise here. God says, listen, if you will turn to me, he says, I will turn to you. 
You know, it's interesting. People complain all the time. Uh, I remember uh, when the, uh, the Sandy Hook shooting where they killed all those people in the school, there were people saying, where's God? Where's God in school when these things happen? And I don't know who retorted this, but I I heard it several places. It said, oh, I thought they kicked God out of the school a long time ago. Something to think about, isn't it? You don't want God to show up. What he's telling the people of Israel, if you want me to show up, he says, "I, I want you... To turn in my direction. I like the best thing I know about this. I like what one preacher said. He, he said, you know, it may seem like there's an awful long distance between you and God. But if you'll take one small step toward Him, He'll take one step toward you. Only His steps are a little bigger than yours are. Amen. Uh, God will meet with you. And He, through Zechariah, says, listen, turn to me. He says, Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, Did they not take hold of your fathers, and they returned? Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. And so, we have something that needs to happen. Here's what, if you want to understand what the Bible is talking about, read it. And it tells us this idea of turning to God, number one, starts with us admitting our sins against the Holy God. And understanding that God has done things and allowed things to happen that is because of our sin. There is no suffering that goes on in this world that's not connected some way to sin. And if we'll just surrender to God and let Him take care of things... God says, listen, you turn to me, I will turn to you. Now, we're going to skip over the next few verses here because that deals with a future prophecy. And we get down to verse 12 here. And Zechariah asked the Lord a question in verse um, uh, uh, 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, How long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. There is a prophecy in Jeremiah. In fact, if you're reading through your Baptist bread, it was mentioned this week. Don't wait too late to pray. And, Jer- and God had told Jeremiah, says, don't pray for Israel. Don't pray for my uh, restoration because I'm not going to answer you until 70 years have passed. Zechariah said in, in his prophecy, the 70 years is done. 
now God's going to rebuild. And He's going to put Jerusalem back together. And the temple will be rebuilt. And we come here to verse 18, and it says, Then I then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Now, a passage like this, you can look and try to find a bunch of really complicated things and try to make all kinds of connection. And the Lord does not make time connections here. He does not make uh, uh, very plain, but it says uh, he showed Zechariah the image of the horn. And the horn is always power in the Bible. And so Zechariah says, what is this? And it says, these are those that have destroyed Judah. Then four carpenters show up. He says, what are they going to do? They're going to fray them. They're going to get out the saw and cut the horns off and chop them up and break them and disperse them so that they will no longer scatter Israel and Judah. The oppression is going to cease. That is a promise that God gave to Zechariah to the people. And then we come down to chapter 2, and he says, I lifted up my eyes again, and look, behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him. And he said unto him, Run! Speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. And so we have that promise. It says God's going to measure Jerusalem. You say, well, how is he going to measure it? There's going to be people living there again. The city of Jerusalem, for these last 70 years, had just been the inhabited by very few and a very poor and impoverished people. And the prophecy to Zechariah was that the city was going to be built. And, of course, we know the ultimate fulfillment of, of this passage is talking about when the new Jerusalem hovers over the land of Israel and Jesus will live in that city and be the light thereof of the land. And uh, yet the promise and Jerusalem was rebuilt during the time of Zechariah. We come here down to verse 10 and it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. 
Be silent, O all flesh before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Then we get to chapter 3, and a picture here of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And what does the next part say? Satan, standing at his right hand to resist him. The Lord rebukes Satan, and Joshua is clothed with clean garments. And what we have talking about here is the restoration of the worship, that God would again accept the sacrifices and the offerings of his people. And But we get down to verse 6. It says, And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. And so, again, we have this condition that God puts in. He says, listen, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to put a fair miter on your head. I mean, read the rest of the chapter there. Some beautiful words that are talked about how that the high priest is restored to a place of service. And then he says, you want to stay this way? You've got to walk in my statutes. God is telling Israel, he's through Zechariah, that he has judged them. And now he is restoring them. And if they don't want God to judge them again, guess what? They've got to walk in the way that God has ordained to do. Doesn't that sound pretty familiar? I mean, that theme is repeated through the Bible. God will save anyone. Every once in a while, somebody will walk in, uh, I'll meet them, and, oh, I can't come in your church, a building, and fall down on top of me. And I'm going, no, not this one. We've had worse sinners than you come through the doors. Amen? God saves sinners. But he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay that way. That's the story in chapter 3 of the cleansing of the priesthood. And then we get down here to verse 8, and it says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, and upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, these last three verses are a reference to the coming of the Messiah. The idea of dwelling every man under his vine and under his fig tree is talking about a time of peace when there was no war and prosperity and that's going to be ultimately referenced in the kingdom of Christ. And now we get to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is an interesting, interesting chapter. And uh, we're, we're, again, we've still got... Ten chapters to get through tonight. 
It says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me, as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereof, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are of upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left side. And so, here I want you to picture the vision. We're going to try to get this. So, he is giving Zechariah, this is a different vision, and he says, what do you see? And he says, I see a golden lampstand. Of course, if you remember the temple, uh, the tabernacle before it was the golden candlestick that is still pictured in the stained glass windows here uh, because that is uh, in the back windows there. It is an image of, of, of Jewish history. Of course, we take it in the New Testament. Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. Amen. And so, he says, I see these seven lamps... And beside and on top of the lamps is a golden bowl, and out of the bowl is a tube that goes to each one of the lamps so that they don't have to be refilled. They are constantly filled from the olive trees. And so, that's the picture. Now, let's go down to the end of the chapter here. And it says, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so, Zechariah asks a question, what, what are the olive trees? And it says the olive trees are two anointed ones that stand by God. Now, if you want a little bit of clarity to what this is talking about, and we can't explain the whole thing, I want you to go back and read in the middle. And verse uh, 5, it says, Then the angel that talked with me answered and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, the leader of the children of Israel at this time, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of the hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things... For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven 
They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. The picture here is God's Word. That's what the golden lampstand is. It is God's prophecy to His people for what they are to do today. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that talks about future things. And one of the problems we have when people get all wrapped up into prophecy is they don't do anything today. That's not the way the Bible is designed to work. The Bible is designed to work to give you instruction today. And he said, you see this vision of this golden lampstand in heaven and the golden oil being continually fed and there's never a need to replenish the oil because it's constantly there. Therefore, the lights never go out. You know what? That's what God's Word does. Amen? It does not need to be updated. It doesn't need to be added to. Uh, I, I am so glad that we are not living by biblical principles. I remember when I was a young man, they had a, a preacher going around. And he says, I'm going to just teach principles. I'm not going to teach the Bible, just the principles that are in it. Well, you know what got left out? Church, baptism, serving the Lord on a daily basis, all the really important things. You see, you can't water down God's Word. You can't take anything away from it. God's Word, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, is things that I ought to do today to serve Him. And so when Zerubbabel saw this vision of the golden oil, the Word of the Lord came to him and said, Now this is what Zerubbabel, who was living at that time, this is what he's going to do. And if you'll remember from Haggai's prophecy and from the book of Nehemiah, uh, I mean the book of Ezra, uh, when they laid the foundation of the temple, the old men that had seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed wept, and the young men rejoiced. And God said, listen, don't you despise what's going on today. It doesn't look like it's going to be as great. But the glory of the second temple is going to be greater than that of the first. Why? Because Jesus Christ Himself would walk through its courts and teach uh, the people God's Word right there. And you know what? I've had people today talk about uh, all the glory of great revivals and things that have been done in the past. Don't ever... Live for the past when you've got something to do today. Amen? It's their rejoicing in the presence of God and His angels when one soul comes to repentance. And what we need to learn from this chapter, and you can sit there and wonder about who those two anointed ones, some think that that's talking about the two witnesses in the book of Revelation that will stand on the earth and prophesy for three and a half years during the tribulation period. And I'm not going to argue that point. I don't know. Nobody does. But I will tell you this. When the vision was explained, 
God gave Zechariah words to give to men that were alive in his day to do things that needed to be done at that time. And that's what God's Word is about today. And, and that, that picture, that paradigm holds true all the way through the Bible. And then we get to chapter 5. And in verse 1 it says, Then I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, A flying roll. The length thereof is twenty cubits. That's about thirty feet. And the breadth thereof, ten cubits, about fifteen feet. Then said he unto me, This is the curse. They goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For every one that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it. And every one that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. And so what we have here in chapter 5 is the flying roll. The work of the laws of God. And God's, God's law... It's going to judge everyone that has transgressed. Whether you think your sin, and and that's why sometimes when I preach, I, I don't get out a big long list and name every sin, because you know what? I might forget yours. Uh, I might not even know it exists. I'm just a man like you are. I don't know everything about everybody here, but this book sure does. And the Holy Spirit of God sure does. And He'll deal with you according to His Word. And yet, we get to the end of the chapter here, and we have this thing of iniquity. Uh, it says that... Um, uh, let's just read it. It's, it's somewhat very different in verse 5. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah. That is a measure that goeth forth. And he said, Moreover, this is their resemblance throughout all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of the lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like a, of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth of heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar. And it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Now, uh, boy, just so many things we could talk about here. But this we see in the first part of the chapter, the flying roll, the work of the law of God doing its part. But you need to understand something. Those that serve the devil and love wickedness are going to be doing their part. And the land of Shinar that is spoken of here is Babylon. If you've ever studied anything 
of the ancient religions of the world, they all go back to Babylon. And I don't encourage you to study the ancient religions of the world. It is a sordid history at best. And there is a measure to wickedness. And it is there. It is going to be uh, working. And people are worshiping wickedness just as we are trying to follow the Word of God. And so, we uh, get now to uh, 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 chapter uh, 6. And you get to the last half of chapter 6 here. And it talks again about the Messiah coming and the promise of sovereignty to Israel. Chapter 7. It, it says here that um, we, it tells the story of people coming to see Zechariah in the land of Israel and ask him if they should keep their traditions that they have established, uh, weeping in the fifth month and the seventh month. Why? Because there was no temple to worship in. The temple had been rebuilt and they said, do we keep our traditions that we did the same as when the temple was unbuilt. And, uh, and here's what the Lord said. Look down verse 9. Thus speaketh the Lord, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Now, here's the answer to traditions. God isn't interested. What He is interested in is what goes on in your heart. And that was the prophecy that Zechariah was given. And then we go through chapters 8 through 10. And I have some highlights here marked in your outline of different... Uh, let's just touch on a few of them. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Again, the word of the Lord of the host came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I was jealous for Zion with, a great, with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And it talks about old men in verse 4, and in the streets, verse 5, full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Chapter 9 is the uh, same uh, basic message and different. Look at verse 
16 and 17, And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign from the land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. And we go into chapter 10. And uh, verse 12 says, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Now, chapter 11 is is a very strange chapter, but it's talking about the flock of slaughter. It's talking about how that God is preparing the peoples of this world, and he is going to uh, restore his people. And we get down here to verse 17. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall utterly be utterly darkened. And uh, so that kind of just finishes how the Lord is going to judge those that don't follow him. He's going to restore Israel. And uh, now we're going to try to get into the future prophecies. Get back with me to chapter 1 and those verses we skipped. Uh, Verse 7, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord and Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show you thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still And is at rest. And we just leave him alone. Now, how many of you have already tickled a little flag in your head when we talk about red horses and white horses and speckled uh, is the horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. And the reason why I stopped where I did and came back is because when we start chapter... um, um, uh, six, we we went through some of that, but we skipped over the the part there. Is verse one, and I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were brass. In the first chariot were red horses, and in the second chariot black horses, and in the third chariot white horses, and in the fourth chariot Gristled and bay horses. 
and he gives the direction that the horses go in and says that the ones that go north, the black horses, have hindered uh, the word of the Lord that is going forth in the land. And that the end of these things are going to be the branch again. That is a name for Jesus Christ in verse 12 of chapter 6. And that the temple would be builded, but there were crowns for those that were alive in Joshua's day. Now we get back and we'll finish this up. Chapter 12, it says, verse 3, I mean verse 2, it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All they that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now, isn't it interesting that in this day and time, the center of what's going on in in the world at large is all around Jerusalem. Why do the Iranians want a nuclear missile? So they can kill the Jews and move back into the city of Jerusalem. That's what they want to do. If you remember your history before World War One and during World War One, there was a country that controlled the land of Israel. Its name was Britain. And they had promised the Jewish people that they were going to give them back the land and reinstate the nation of Israel. They didn't do it. We had to wait until after World War Two to see that happen. And in those intervening time periods, Britain was arguably the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. As World War I began, its queen had children that controlled three-quarters of the world's population. The king of Germany, the king of Russia, the czar of Russia... Uh, They were all related to the Queen of England. By the time we get to the end of World War II, Britain is stripped of almost all of her colonies, uh, becomes a second-rate power in every sense of the word because she refused to do what she said she would do with Jerusalem. You study the history. And you better pray for the government of this country that we don't follow in the footsteps of what England did. Because God will do to us what he's done to them. You look at every nation that's tried to destroy and control Jerusalem. Study the history of the nation of Israel. I mean, it is amazing that there's even Jewish people left. All the nations around them outnumbered. Population, well over 100 to 1. In armies, 
Incredible odds. And yet God broke every army that's tried to take Jerusalem. And he will finally do so at the battle of Armageddon. And that's all prophesied right here in the book of Zechariah. And uh, look at verse 8. It says, In that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. He said the weakest person is going to be like King David. And of course, who is the king going to be in that day? Jesus Christ, the son of David. And so, it is a glorious prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled. But now here's verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadag-Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. Let's keep reading. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off the names of idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And we talk about the purity and understanding and true worship of the true God. And we come here to chapter 14, and this talks about the battle of Armageddon. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. And fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. Now, read Revelation chapter 19. And read this. It's talking about the same event. 
people talk about continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, let me tell you, it's there. This Bible is one book. The prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled are spoken of here. And that fountain that is opened is the river of life that will flow from underneath the the throne of God and will heal the waters in the Dead Sea and will restore the land of Judah and it will be holiness unto the Lord. And guess who gets to come with Jesus when He comes back? It says He's going to bring all His saints with Him. You see, it's all in here. And I know we've hurried tonight. And I don't mean to to make light of God's Word by hurrying, but what we want to do is to cover it in such a way so that we can make some connections and also so that you all go home and read this book of Zechariah. Uh, it's, It's a book that ought to be read. It has things to tell us of things yet to come. And we... Look here at these last few verses. It says, In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And if you want a connection here, it's not in your outline, but go to Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, and it talks about that temple that's going to have a pure priesthood, and there's going to be sacrifices again. And of course, we say today, the reason the sacrifices aren't offered is because Jesus is the sacrifice. And yet, during the Millennial Kingdom, the temple will be rebuilt and sacrifices will be offered. Not for sin, but to remind us in living pictures that it is finished, that Jesus did the work. You see, one God, one Bible, all the way through. And this little book of Zechariah makes a lot of those connections for us. And there's some things in there that we don't get. Who are the two anointed ones that stand before the Lord of the whole earth? The seven spirits of the Lord that run throughout the world. The Bible says there's one Holy Spirit. You know what? I'll just leave those things to the Lord. Because God is everywhere. Amen? His Spirit pervades all and goes throughout. And God is looking for an excuse to show Himself mighty. But what did He say to Israel in chapter 1? If you'll turn to me, I'll turn to you. What did He say to Joshua after He cleaned him up and made him fit and proper to cleanse him from his wickedness that he could walk in the priesthood? He said, if you'll keep my statutes. And you know what we need to do? Just keep his statutes. Let's not worry about who the two witnesses are. Let's worry about 
what's coming out of that golden lamp. You see, God is showing me things that I need to do today. No, not some mystical revelation. There's enough written down in here that each one of us are having problems with, if we were honest. That it'll take us a whole lifetime just to take care of what's written down. So let's worry about that. Don't go chasing after something new. Be informed. The Bible tells us these things are going to happen. I can't wait until the Prince of Peace rules the world from the city of peace. Amen? See the armies of this world defeated to come back with Jesus to this earth and have Him straighten it all out. You know what? He won't need a judge to help him. He will be the king, he'll be the congress, and he'll be the supreme court, because Jesus is all we need. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you for the prophecy of Zechariah. And Lord, we ask that you would encourage us that your word is fresh and new and does not need any refilling. It's there. And help us to see the things that we ought to be busy about today. Give us grace to be your servants. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If the altar's open, if you'd like to pray, and then we'll be done.